Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. Today, how an allegedly effeminate depiction of Jesus draws yet another display of Christian contradictions and flawed metaphysics, the importance of understanding religion as pre-psychological, yes, there's more to say about that, and how and why every religion ends up being the opposite of what its founder intended. Thanks for listening, and if you're on YouTube, for watching. And if you want to see that depiction of Jesus aforementioned, you're going to want to watch us on YouTube. Thanks so much for being here. Greetings and welcome forward, everybody. This is 86, I think, something like that. You know, about half the time when I say the number of the episode, when I'm editing afterwards, I realize I got it wrong, but not usually more than one off. (laughs) It's like an inside joke between me and me to mention the number because there's a 50% chance that's correct, and it really doesn't matter. Hi, Stace. (laughs) Hey, Joseph. Nice to see you. Uh, Yeah, likewise. And speaking of things that really don't matter, we're going to start off by talking about um, the depiction of a a recent depiction of Jesus as um, insinuatingly gay, which has made some news headlines recently and is just, I'll put it in um, in the video. If you're watching the video, you'll be seeing it now already. Um, because the future me, that's weird, the future me is going to stick it into the video somehow. Hopefully. We don't know that he will, but I just, (laughs) who said I was going to do that? The current me right now is saying that the future me will do that. So uh, first of all, uh, you came across this, right, Stace? Didn't you? I did. I did. And how did that that grab you? Where where were you looking that you came up with this? I just, it it was a a headline on, um, I, I have the I think it was the Guardian uh, from the good the good uh, newspaper uh, outlet in in Britain. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty even handed. So I mm-hmm. have that, uh, and so there was <laughs> didn't show the picture, but it said uh, controversy over gay Jesus. So I had oh no, the headline reads it. I got it here. Um, oh. it's a effeminate Jesus, and here's a great uh-huh. example of bad journalism because effeminate <laughs> is in single quotes, meaning someone said it was effeminate. And you shouldn't uh-huh. put quotes in headlines, right? Yes. It's like, that's not really news. That's something what somebody said. So single quoted, effeminate Jesus sparks, sparks furious backlash. Um, yes. I don't think we've seen yet the headline, white Jesus sparks furious <laughs> backlash, because he historically could not have been white or blue eyed. But the effeminate one, that really rubbed people the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like the Pope um, has gotten uh, a ton of uh, kickback when he said he would bless the marriage of same gender or trans people. I think it included trans. Uh, uh-huh. And well, boy, the conservative arm of the Catholic Church is going just apeshit. But his response was really interesting. It's not, I, I'm curious what you say about it. He said, well, I can bless the the wedding of a corrupt businessman who exploits people for greed, and no one says a word. But if I bless the wedding of a, a, a gay couple, people go crazy. Now, think about that. This is Pope Francis. Wow, it's kind uh, of impressive. That wasn't bad. That yeah. wasn't bad. Um, it's not exactly corresponding, but it's close. It's close. At any rate, um, 
Well, it, it, it invites a beginning of a very deep discussion that would not really be had there, but it's a good, great yeah. headline. You know. Yeah, exactly. So you're looking at the uh, picture here. Um, we've talked before, so it bears, uh, I can repeat this uh, from earlier podcast, uh, my impression, and we'll talk about um, where I get that impression and uh, intuitively, but my impression uh, of uh, what Yeshua looked like uh, is much more um, like Joaquin Phoenix uh, and not this tall, thin, perfectly um, with perfect pecs and uh, um, a slim, tall body uh, with, of course, uh, a Goyim face. Uh, and um, Yes, he's not well, Semitic, even with the facial mm, hair. He's not no, Semitic at all. Pretty Michelangelo, no. really. Yeah, and you could see this also. I was looking at it this morning. This could this could be a trans woman, a, a man, trans man from a woman too. And there's uh, just a it's just a matter of time before there's a trans depiction of Jesus for sure. Yeah, for sure. But the uh, it, it's um so right right here that what we have here is the artist who's a Spanish. I think he was Spanish. Yeah, um, artist Salustiano uh, Garcia. Uh, was perpetuating the myth of the Goyam uh, Yeshua, uh, who was actually five seven or five eight and 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 kind of thick uh, in the in the in the waist in the in the butt. If you if, if you want an intuitive, uh, uh, and, like a lot of Jewish boys are. And how uh, ironic to use a Yiddish term to describe him, since Christianity was born out of Judaism, which yes. is a, a historical detail not commonly uh, yeah. <laughs> referred to. Yeah, we, we we of course here always refer to him as Yeshua uh, because that is that is the Yiddish name and because this, and the sound Ja did not exist in that language. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, I've heard when I was growing up, I heard Jesus. You know, um, or the Spanish version. Uh, the priest once said, "Let's praise Jesus," uh, because there was a lot of um, uh, Hispanics in the congregation at that moment. Or yeah, something. he was a Hispanic immigrant. In oh yes, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. <laughs> so of course a, you got the, Christ, the Catholic uh, Christians were the some of the first uh, uh, cultural appropriators by the current definition, right? Well, look, look what happened with all the colonialism uh, uh, that happened from Europe into America. You know, everything got got put uh, all the darker darker skin the, the Native American Indians. Um, the uh, conquistadors uh, that came in and um, uh, uh, mated with the uh, the, the native um, uh, Indian of uh, the uh, in Mexican the Mexican uh, domain, and so white the white man uh, had, the white race has appropriated just about all the iconology uh, of um, of the world, and so this is beyond. Uh, if I, I was tickled by the absurdity of it. But but the appropriation projection of the white race onto Yeshua is a classic distortion of, for example, white MAGA na uh, nationalism, uh, Christian nationalism in this country. So in so many ways, um, I mean, that the artist depicts him with the loincloth covering his genitals, but not the legs, which which for gay men will the, the, the uh, will oftentimes go right there. It actually... Sent, puts, puts the eye there in the crotch because he's got exposed legs on either side bare. Yeah, his upper legs uh, are showing. It's like it's almost it, like a bikini bottom kind uh, of thing. Almost, yeah. yeah. 
and it's it's just really um, offensive in so many ways, and the and the controversy becomes so absurd uh, because uh, they'll take the the straight folks will take a completely gentrified <laughs> white white Melba toast version of Jesus, but will not take a gay version of that. Well, you said uh, offensive, offensive to whom? In some ways. Um, Offensive to standard uh, dogmatic yeah. Christians. Yeah. Uh, yes. Because uh, in identity, so, there's no such thing as being offended. No, no, we don't. <laughs> just, we just uh, we just muse upon, cogitate uh, uh, upon the um, contemplate the absurdity of and, these projections. And that's that's a rabbit hole. That's something that um, uh, I think you just revealed as uh, because for you it's so obvious. I think it um, it bears uh, explaining. Um, in identity, being offended is always a form of victimhood. It's a form of mm-hmm. playing victim as an adult because you're, it's it's a uh, it's a try, it's an attempt to justify a trigger. Um, it's I'm offended by that. It puts the tr- responsibility for the trigger on the outside, so you don't have to look right. at why you're offended in the first place. Um, yeah, and that that's one of the many ways in which this article is so ridiculous because there's not any curiosity about like, okay, you you know most of the Christians were, were at what two point eight? What is it? How many Christians are there? Two point two billion? Two point two billion, I think yeah. at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, most of them have made Jesus white, and then like how many? This one guy and you know some maybe some of his followers made him kind of effeminate looking and gay, and they're all offended by that. Um, while there's billions of people who are just fine having made them white, like well, what about the Semitic yes. or Arabic people? Exactly. And how they exactly. feel having you know one of their people basically yeah. resurfaced. Yeah, resurface is a great way to put it. So you know, yeah, I, I actually met um, a, a Catholic person at one of my early talks who insisted that Jesus uh, was not a Jew because he was a Christian. And so, <laughs> and this person had a, a pretty high-end education, if I remember correctly. He wasn't just, um, you know, someone who wasn't educated. So the fact that Jesus was a Jew, Yeshua was a Jew, and, and he's all, again, we go one step a little deeper here. Just, he was a Jew. This is not a Jewish depiction. Whether whether it's gay inspiring or white, it's just not. So that just shows at the most superficial and obvious level how far afield uh, the world's uh, religion of Christianity, both a non, a Protestant and Catholic, have veered from the historical truth of Jesus um, and, mm-hmm. and are not interested in a reformatting. But I love what you said there about uh, the trigger. Um, if you're offended, you're wearing a shoe. Mm. The shoe is fitting. Mm. Uh, you, would, you would not be offended unless you already had some judgment in yourself that the trigger is bringing up that you don't want to look at and then projecting that out as a victim on the trigger. Uh, what I love, just in the last 20 years in the movies, you'll hear the, um, the phrase uh, oftentimes, uh, don't blame me. I'm just the messenger, mm-hmm. you know, and that's cool because that that is implies exactly what we're saying. Don't shoot the messenger. Don't don't blame the trigger uh, because you already own that emotion, even if it was not uh, aw- you weren't aware of it until that moment. So like Joseph said, 
if you're offended by this, you should look at why you're offended that someone maybe hasn't seen you as you did feel inside yourself. And so you've got to get angry at this because it it attacks your faith or something. And, and oh, this, this, there's another rabbit hole. Yeah, and this one idea would radically transform all of the divisiveness and culture wars in our society right now because the indulgence of triggers and offendedness, which yeah. aren't usually even named as triggers, uh, but the indulgence of that is it's an it's literally at a worldwide historical history of consciousness high where people yes. literally feel they have an entitlement to not be triggered or offended despite the yes. fact that there is no law <laughs> not not even close it's not even oh. a misdemeanor to offend someone oh. that's yeah. and and it yeah. literally is quite it, it's causing the first amendment to be threatened in some really serious yes. ways exactly right uh, I read some years ago that uh, there were more st in America, more uh, um, students of law in university than there were all the lawyers in the country. <laughs> um, this, this, that just shows that America is the worst of all. They, they, you can, if, if you offend someone, they'll sue you for their hurt feelings and they're being, and those cases are being heard. Sometimes. Yeah, what, that's what's yeah. actually going on, and then they find some tangible thing to hook it on, you know, yeah. suffering right. or whatever damages, and but it's really about hurt feelings that people just can't bear. Yeah, and if um, but let's look. That's the negative side. Let's. I feel like we have to hold the over attachment side too. Um, if you're happened to this lifetime to be gay, uh, congratulations. Uh, love is love is love is love, uh, or trans, or any other the LGBTQ plus. And that's and that's brave. I'd congratulate them for that as well. Absolutely, um, we, identity has none of that kind of judgment about it. Uh, but if you overattach to that and say, finally, I have a Jesus I can relate to, well, that's a slippery slope there. Um, because if that's the case, then you're not settled in yourself yet, which is fine. Given the society we have, you know, you're embattled every day from some corner, likely. It's better now than it used to be, but uh, it's still pretty, you got to fight for your own identity center. That's, and that's who can criticize you for overattaching to an idealization of a, of one of three, of the, the uh, most popular uh, spiritual teachers on the planet. Uh, but be careful if you overindulge on that, that I finally have an icon that fits me. Um, you're putting on the clothes of this picture instead of, um, for yourself instead of feeling it from yourself on the inside mm -hmm. so um, you can have negative projection triggers and positive projection triggers and they both are equally questionable and people should be curious about why they over attach or under attach and then there's a rabbit hole right there related to how people relate to reality because the way it's seen is like well there's an a priori going all the way back to Descartes, as we've previously discussed. There's an, an a priori, well, we all create our own reality. So if you can distort it in a way that is good and works for you, that's good. And But if you're distorting it in a way that's bad for you, then that's bad. And that's right. inside a subjectivistic frame that already has made the assumption that either there is no objective reality or we can never really know it, so be creative. And that's uh, identity would say is a, another very slippery slope, an existential level slippery slope. 
Oh, we could do a whole podcast on the perception of reality and the parameters projected upon it uh, and its existence, blah, blah, blah. But uh, we've got some juicy other aspects here that we can play. We don't have time for that. <laughs> not today. Mm-hmm. So um, what, 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 what Joseph and I talk, to, talk about with this also is that, um, of course, there's Baha'u'llah and there's Lao Tse and there's other um, ancient spiritual teachers um, uh, who have um, followers uh, and, and uh, in this world in the present time. But really, Muhammad, Jesus, and, um, and uh, Yeshua, um, Yeshua uh, really, they, they represent the religions based on their three teachings, Yeshua's, the Buddha's, and uh, Muhammad's, com- comprise the lion's share of religious participants in the modern day. And so we, we thought we might um, just take off on this picture here. Uh, of course, I, ha- I wait, I have to say that the three things coming out the top of his head there, uh, that's the Trinity, I think. But there's another interesting thing. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, there's the Son as a human there. So why would there be a Trinitarian <laughs> thing up right. there? It's I mean, and then there's four things like there's yeah, four, yeah. Well, one okay. of those an expression of him, and that yeah, doesn't really. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Usually there's a flame up, 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 up over, up over his uh, crown chakra, and that's the Holy Spirit uh, in ah. icon in iconography and Catholicism. But at any rate, uh, those three we'd like to deconstruct um, the, uh, um, the those three spiritual teachers, and um, to do that. We could, we're going to take two roads, um, a high road, a fairly interesting uh, didactic road, but then also an impressionistic intuitive road about this. So identity has said many times about all three, uh, but I'd like to just uh, things about them, Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christianity. We'd like to do just a slightly deeper uh, dive on it today, uh, playing off this um, projection picture here, right here. And that is, uh, let's start with uh, with Judaism, because that's uh, the, actually the link, Abraham and Judaism is the link between Islam and Christianity that neither Islam and Christianity likes to look at. Really, and and uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are all Abrahamic religions, which is why if you stand in the right place, they look basically exactly the same or three sides of <laughs> yes. the same object or something. <laughs> yeah, three facets of the same uh, rhomboid or not rhomboid, whatever I'm thinking that like is. thinking like a uh, pyramid, a uh, tetrahedron, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. three-sided. Or, or tetrahedron. That would be four. No, that's three. Tetrahedron is four. There's four-sided pyramids and there's three-sided pyramids. That's so. right. I don't know what you both. call a three-sided pyramid, but one of those. Um, a trihedron. Trihedron. I think tri-hedron? it's a trihedron. Okay. I remember solid geometry uh, from high school a bit. At any rate, um, those three religions, uh, there are three children of the same father, and they all we've got going on over the centuries is uh, sibling rivalry here. Uh, who's, who's, who's the heir to the Abrahamic uh, uh, influence, right? Because uh, Abraham is is um, is really seen in Islam as a very important uh, a progenitor uh, or found foundation figure out of which Muhammad's um, whole unfolding came from in some way or is related to. So um, in that sense, uh, for Islam and Christianity to uh, uh, and Judaism actually to be all participant in, participants in the Crusades, 
is just a, a family uh, a, a fi family dynamic like in the in the meta that is a fractal a, a meta fractal of all all families in some way who gets to who gets to be really right right and then they fight in the crusades they fight over dirt um literally uh identity steps in on that particular um uh, dido, I think that's a useful word of a dido. Um, with uh, with the, there's nothing more sacred than anything else in Earth, uh, uh, as we say so many times. An alley, a dirty rat-infested alley in Calcutta, uh, is just as spiritual as the Vatican. There or, is not um, more God in a pointy building than no. McDonald's. <laughs> that's right. Which is such um, basic metaphysics. God is in all places at all at all at, at all at once in all places and all things. But I go to go to church on Sundays because there's more there or what? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. should I be trying to experience God in the McDonald's then as well as in the church? Or should I really tune in in the church more because it's a more opportunity to experience the omnipresence? Yeah. Absolutely, and of course, with their um, uh, uh, the minarets or the um, uh, uh, the full disclosure, the, uh, I get a dollar every time I suggest that you can find God in a McDonald's from the McDonald's Corporation. I just have to oh, say that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Like, thank you. So I'll be oh, doing that more good. often. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as we're on that topic of the buildings, um, yes. uh, uh, of course, in Catholic in Christianity, it's really clear. Um, uh, uh, we're talking about Christianity and Islam right now, and with the minarets and the and the mosques, also uh, the tower towering high ceilings are meant uh, as a metaphysic. It's a in it's a granite or into real earth reality gravitational field projection of the metaphysics uh, that Abraham actually started with, and that is that um, we're small, God is big. And the soaring ceiling is all out of human proportion in in uh, human in human constructed religious uh, um, uh, uh, houses of worship, right? So the whole feeling is that you're small and you have to atone for sins. Even though in Islam they don't really stress original sin, they just stress the stiff-necked uh, non-obedience to pride. Allah. Uh, yeah, right? it's not pride. nearly yeah, as well pride. defined as original sin, but. Yeah, I mean, if it yeah. were any more defined, it would be very obviously a copy of original sin. So it's <laughs> yes. they, they kind of got as close as they could without plagiarizing, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> nicely, nicely put there. Yeah. So, so whether you call it original sin or pride, um, the our humanness keeps us from heaven uh, until we atone in one of the two ways. We're talking well, the three ways. We can include Judaism here too. Uh, you atone with good works, or you atone with um, grace, um, or you atone by obedience. Really, uh, are the three uh, that 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 come under the the heading here. But in that sense, uh, all three of these teachers, as we'll get to in our intuitive uh, uh, lens when we look at these three, all of them, all of them taught love, uh, 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 caring, service, service. Um, Oh, um, uh, uh, compassion, and yet all three of them have murderous downline justifications for their dark uh, activities. Now, how any Christian, uh, 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 Jew, Jewish person, or uh, or um, Muslim uh, is uh, sorry, or Muslim, or Muslim uh, can justify violence uh, when? Uh, 
all three of those teachers were as gentle as they could be in one way. Abraham uh, wasn't so much, uh, but boy, the Ten Commandments after Moses, that was it. Um, uh, the justification of, uh, of killing uh, is, um, is all part of all three of religions justified by their own twisty way of uh, justifying it. Mm -hmm. So um, it, right there and then and there, the fact that all three can justify murder in the name of Allah, Yahweh, or, or, um, or God is already um, uh, such an evidence of how far afield of the teachings of these three amazing beings um, have come in the modern day. So in that sense, we've said we've referred to this many times in podcasts, but um, just the, uh, the, the dogmas of all three are not only related uh, uh, um, historically, they're related metaphysically being in so far afield of the original teachings which uh, are all in doubt anyway um, about what the real teachings were of all three of them. Uh, the Quran is, is supposed to be quoting Muhammad pretty directly, uh, isn't he? Uh, Supposedly, yeah. yeah. It was channeled Joseph, over about 10 years on and off. Yeah, Joseph is more, and we'll get to the why in a moment in some ways, is more attuned. To, he's, he knows more about Islam than I do, and I tend to know a little bit more about Christianity, and he, he was raised Jewish. So we've got all... We've got all three. Uh, I know more uh, about Islam than <laughs> Judaism, than for Judaism. sure. But only because Judaism is metaphysics or almost completely absent unless you go at the really esoteric Talmudic level. Um, yeah, it's yeah, mostly just right. tradition and uh, connectedness yeah. is what, yeah. Yeah. So in that sense, um, uh, we, we take uh, a lot of what supposedly were the original teachings of these three men. Uh, and uh, uh, take them apart a little bit. Um, so, what, of course, with Jesus, it's been fairly researched pretty well. Uh, uh, the New Testament, <laughs> which is, I think the last time I read, it went through 16 uh, different translations, Coptic and, uh, and, um, and Latin and Greek and uh, Aramaic and the present one we've got these days, that's the last I read. There was at least seven or eight I, I used to know, but someone said I read somewhere 16. So ever play the phone game? I mean, just the uh, idea that something could be revised and translated that many times and then to have the last version be related to as the current last version to be well, this, this is the word of God. Yeah. Is so is so ridiculous. It's like no, no, this one. Now we, it just took lots of translations and telephone game and revisions, but this is the absolute word of God now. It's it's so illogical. It could only be coming from emotional dystrophy. Yeah. Um, uh, the one the one defense I've had of that is mm. that here's it was this was a Christian. Oh wait, don't tell uh, me. He, uh, God has worked through the people through its magic <laughs> ways as instruments of God to revise it to its perfection, right? See, exactly I'm a better right. Christian than Christians are. So are you. In, in other words, um, humans are imperfect, and God's been working through all these translations to get now to our time, uh, the final version that he wants. Right, he, but, when, but when someone sins and does bad things— that's not God working through people, right? And so why doesn't That's it, right. if he can do that, why doesn't God just work through people all the, oh, because it's a test, right? I forgot. 
Ah. <laughs> yeah. And, and not to mention the inherent framework and foundation of patriarchy in all three of these religions mm. that exists to this day. Um, Judaism and, and some of the reformed uh, will allow a female, a, w- a woman rabbi, but not, not in the uh, traditional core stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, no priests uh, can be married and no women can be a priest in Christianity. Uh, I don't think there's God. a female... Yes, that's right. And I think none of the imams are, um, uh, they can't be a woman, a female imam in uh, Islam. I doubt uh, so, it. Yeah. So, so all three right off the bat are, are, are nakedly patriarchal, anti-woman uh, patriarchal bias. So right there, all based on the fact that all three have the big he-man in the sky, right? That's the God is a man, it's male. So mm-hmm. how any woman can be, uh, 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 a marching uh, soldier in any one of these religions uh, is, is beyond me. Any self-aware woman, uh, I can't, I can't believe that that women who tend to be a ten percent, fifteen percent more innately, intuitively um, um, uh, human in a really positive way. How they can be still be part of these patriarchal religions is only could only be coming from their own emotional dystrophy. Yeah, so it's it's, it's fascinating. I once followed around a couple in a department store, uh, one woman completely covered, um, Muslim couple, and just seeing this completely covered woman like couldn't see anything. Um, I think her, even her eyes were covered with something very gauzy, and the man you know just dressed pretty normally, and it was just. I just sort of stayed within 20 or 30 feet just watching, like, how are they interacting? Like, she's wearing a costume that completely covers herself, and he's just dressed normally. Like, it just seems like Halloween, you know? It was just fascinating. And, of course, the uh, the whole idea with the hajib there is that because— it, 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 so as not to excite the poor dear uh, men into a sexual excitation. So the women have to be covered because men can't handle their sexual attraction. Uh, yeah, uh, to which it, makes them uh, victims as adults to their own, yeah. whatever, biology, emotional, emotionality, whatever it is, sex drives. So the covering legitimates the emotional immaturity of uh, Muslim men. Uh, Thus holding it not, in place. Yeah. Yes, this is not a stretch. And there, we're all children of God, no matter what your faith is, that's fine. But where's the meta um, uh, compassion based discernment at some of these things? I'll give we're you a, saying. a Christian correlate. I once had a client who uh, was a Mennonite, and I didn't know much about Amish and Mennonites at all. I learned a lot working with them. But Mennonites are just Amish that use some minimal technology. They drive cars, they use cell phones, but they do stop, um, uh, they control media coming at them. So they don't watch movies. They'll use email, but not the internet because it's a controlling, it's about controlling the information that comes at you, which has some merits to it. But I remember once I was talking with them about uh, how difficult it was because he only hired plain people. That's Mennonite and Amish. And this was in Delaware. And he, the, he was dismayed because the pool, he needed to hire a bookkeeper. They made this amazing furniture and he needed to hire a bookkeeper. And he said, all of the bookkeepers in my community are women. And I don't want to work closely with a woman because he was 
running finance and all that. Uh, and and like, I was like, oh, here's a rabbit hole. So why don't, why don't you want to work closely with a woman? And he starts telling me like, well, and my beliefs are about temptations and all that. And he said at one point, I remember vividly, he said, I don't even go to the beach because I don't want to have the thoughts and feelings that I might have about other women if I see women in bathing suits. And I asked him this question. I said, so in your opinion, does it take more strength to stay out to stay away from that stimuli and not go to the beach and then deal with what might come up uh, to stay away from it? Does it take more strength yeah. to isolate yourself from it? Or would it take more strength to actually expose yourself to it and then have to work out whatever comes up? <laughs> that was oh, thus, witch. thus deconstructing <laughs> his entire religion. <laughs> Oh, the poor guy. Uh, And, you know, I don't even remember what he answered. So he must have sidestepped it. But he did not get the he did not appreciate the significance of that. You're actually keeping yourself in a weakened state by controlling the outer stimuli. Exactly. Um, What better what better way to prove to your God that your faith is an oak tree yeah. That you so let's go to the beach and, and right, with that's all where that I went. temptation, right, I, that, I get it. Yeah, that's where I went. It's, and it, I think he's so, like, I'll think about that, you know, but he couldn't go very far because that would change the whole lifestyle. Then it's like, well, why can't you look at the internet and why can't you watch a movie and why can't right. you and why can't you, right? And then you'd be responsible for the contents of your unconscious, which yes. was a notion that is only 130 or so years old and certainly did not exist during the time of Yeshua Muhammad and Moses and Abraham and all those guys. Yeah, it's just basically uh, Judaism is mosaic Judaism yeah. uh, these days. Uh, so, you, you know, it's just what, again, you highlight something here, Joseph, um, that uh, the all three religions are based on teachings that were pre-psychological. Yes. Yeah, and there's important. never been, there's never been until identity, a paradigm that engages uh psychology into its spiritual teaching um, there's just not there's not one out there scientology likes to think it does but they lose themselves in uh um uh in the uh alien detritus in their spinal cord uh for <laughs> well, me it's really uh, it's too way. willful to really be spiritual because it's yeah so much it's all based and... in yeah it's so much control and will at any rate um that that track uh that all, all three were pre-psychological means there's never an overlay analysis of the unconscious projections that are going on in religions. Mm. They, they stay completely projective of a pre-psychological state. Humankind's consciousness has evolved. So you just all you have to do is just take go a little few steps like you just did with your Mennonite there mm-hmm. to to expose how naive and emotionally dystrophic believers are because they're abiding with the religion as absolute truth, which we haven't even talked about yet, Um, an absolute truth that's at a pre-psychological teaching, which takes into a no account. Hey, could it be that your childhood and your culture at home has affected what you attach to and what you're repelled by, which is neatly, which is neatly sealed off with, I believe it's the fifth amendment, honor thy mother and father. So there's a rule that says you better not look at all at how your parents screwed up. That's That's on the top 10 list in in Judeo-Christianity. 
Yeah, that's in the top three uh, things that if identity could change something in the world right now, that's one of them. Honor your children, not honor your mother and father. I, I used this anecdote before. I, I once asked uh, the nun what, what uh, or no, this was a priest actually. Uh, no, this was a brother. I went to a I went to a Catholic high school, all boys high school. It mm. was written by the I forget which which order of brothers. You know, with the the brown. Um, um, uh, monk stuff mm -hmm. uh, about w w honor thy father thy mother. I asked this the the teacher who was in religion class. What if what if the father is abusing the daughter? Whoa, uh, killer question! Wow. What would the is the daughter still supposed to be honoring the father? Well, um, the the brother got an astonished look on his face. How dare you bring the word sex or the intimation of sex into anything religious? Uh, and he just said, um, this is not a topic we're going to handle. And I advise you to go to confession uh, this Saturday. <laughs> what? So, um, <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, honor their father and their mother justifies mother and mothers and fathers needing children to emotionally validate themselves. Uh, it's just so easily deconstructable. And well, right. In the even, in, even in a mainstream psychological paradigm, the, that yes. idea of honoring their mother and father would be seen as justifying countertransference from the parents to the children. I mean, exactly. That's not even very esoteric psychology. No, I, I was just going to say it's really ABC in psychology, countertransference. That, that is one of the most destructive kinds of things. Why aren't there parenting classes that teach that countertransference happens when parents want, want need emotional food of support from their children? Not just mm -hmm. at, when they're old and feeble, but all along. Uh, our, our mothers, both the Joseph and I mothers, absolutely fed off mine and Joseph's uh, uh, emotional body mm -hmm. uh, as, and just felt justified in doing so. A classic countertransference. So again, we come back to so many ways we could uh, deconstruct, negatively deconstruct uh, religion in basically all of its forms. Not its intention, but it's in its forms and expressions that don't take into account the actual nature of the of human consciousness. I think they a lot just, about how like in the evolution of the consciousness for human beings, it's sort of like, you know, the, the unconscious has been identified and mm -hmm. it has been explored in different ways. But I think it's sort of like, I think about what it was like when um, Kepler and then Galileo, I think it was that order, realized that the sun was not the center of the solar system. Like the church was really actively oppressing that and repressing that. And it took like at least 50 or 60 years for that sort of to get out. And then it took a while for that to catch on. I, I hope that that's how, where we are in relationship to the unconscious. Because it's heterogeneously appreciated by our society. Some people are operating with a curiosity about their unconscious to some degree. So you and I and identity a lot, other people a little. But the vast majority, like, I don't know, 90 plus percent of the world is operating yeah. in a completely pre-unconscious, a pre-psychological paradigm. As evidence, yeah, as evidenced by the five billion um, people who are Christians, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, etc., they're yeah. they're literally operating as if the sun is not the center of the solar system. They're operating in a completely different world. the The curiosity I have is, given that our um, unconscious protectors don't want that, to, don't want to be discovered, 
how long is this going to last? <laughs> like, how long can that hold out? Because with the sun being the center of the universe, there was the scientists actually have a vested interest in reality. Yes. But the average person doesn't necessarily have that. So is this going to go on for another thousand years or another hundred or 10,000? Is it ever going to be appreciated? It, when five billion out of eight billion, um, the scales are tipped toward mm -hmm. uh, the uh, negative here. But I yeah. love that. Um, I never put that together in my head that that um, uh, not not acknowledging the unconscious motives that drive conscious intentions is every bit as archaic as thinking the the, the Earth. Uh, uh, is the center of the solar system, the sun moves around it. Mm -hmm. So uh, both are pre-psychological, as you said, Joseph, and and right there, five, what is, what is what's the percentage? It's uh, that would be about 62% of the planet is still stuck in an archaic pre-psychological, pre-scientific uh, uh, orientations and justify their faith and their belief as the reason they do so. Yes, which is not just, and that's not passive. It's like the, no, no. the, it's an active rejection of personal responsibility of the unconscious as proof of their worthiness for God. Yes, that's, as proof of their worthiness for God. Yeah, so it's quite invested upon. And this is why it's so difficult to get a religionist to see anything in their mm -hmm. unconscious because it would tear apart their identity uh, yeah. as it's built around the religion. Uh, yeah. So it's incredibly threatening exactly. and disorienting for them. Well, that that's actually a fairly good segue. I've got some more to say, though. Well, Give good, because I know here. you have a lot to say. That <laughs> just came out um, of me. I'm glad it was helpful. No, it's perfect because almost the same, 5.27. I did the math on it this morning just out of curiosity. Uh, just about the same number of people who are in religionism is almost exactly as what identity would say is the population of Terran souls here in, uh -huh. this, in this world. Mm -hmm. uh, almost two thirds, uh, 5.72, I think is the number I came out. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll come back to that. I just want to dangle that one uh, while we complete uh, mm -hmm. a couple of other things here. So the interesting thing here is that identity has a very different picture of what actually Yeshua uh, and uh, the Buddha Taught, if we include Buddhism now, because that's there's a mainstream religion called Buddhism, and then there's esoteric Buddhism, which is more the Zen uh, uh, kind of track uh, that way. Um, much like a Zen master is like uh, the the priesthood in Cath and Catholicism, they go a long way further than the laity, the laic, uh, the people they serve. The Buddhist, uh, um, what, what's the what's uh, in Buddhism? What's the uh, the Buddhist religion called? I I always forget. Um, oh, begins with another consonant and a B. Um, yeah, I'm talking about Shintoism, right? Shintoism. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's related uh, Shintoism uh, uh, to Buddhism, uh, but it's more the way that the common everyday person who doesn't become um, a Zen master. Uh, Shintoism, it's, it's it's a it's a belief system, and yeah. uh, you know it includes right. minor deities, spirits. Sure. It's, it's kind of like a, a Davic form of uh, Buddhism. Yes. There's, it's like <laughs> yeah. uh, it's magical and fun, and you know if you've seen, makes me think of uh, the Miyazaki movie Spirited Away. It's kind of got a Shinto oh, yeah. spirit to it. Yeah, there's yeah. lots of little yeah. 
uh, Kami, the spirits. I mean, the the founder of Aikido, uh, Morehi Ueshiba, had a few enlightenment experiences which caused him to create Aikido. And he was very Shinto. And he he talked about listening to the whisperings of the Kami, the sort of deities. And yeah. so uh-huh. it's, it's very Kami, magical. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so, well, I, we I think we did we mention this last time, or that was a private conversation. Whenever I watch, I I like I dig watching. Uh, people who uh, climb mountains. Uh, uh-huh. uh, I always, I always see, it, the see them as, yes, I, as compensating, a teenager is compensating. They don't have self-worth. So I'm on top of a- the world. I'm the tallest person <laughs> in the world. Like, and that matters why I like, get a pair of stilts, yeah. buddy. <laughs> yeah. But starting out the trek, for example, and, and, and a lot of these uh, well-trod uh, expeditions, You've got um, the deities that you have to. You oh have yes. To, uh, you have to kneel before the flags and burn the incense and ask the permission of um, Mama Everest to let you climb it. You know, I guess Sir Edmund Hillary, uh, uh, the second or third time he came up, he died. I think. Uh, he must I not. Have, they, he must have skipped the prayer that time. Yeah. Well, just so because you pray kind of, is no guarantee. No, it's that's not true. a deal. So, so here we have a lot of humanistic people who are not religious, who do obeisance to these religious icons that uh, uh, they've, they've, they've got to build their um, little um, base camp uh, close to and have all these blessings and the, and the Sherpas come and then the, uh, the, you have the, uh, the, the Lama come and bless and you walk up and you kiss the beads and all that stuff. And so... This is not what I'm trying to make the play here for is that it doesn't look good for evolution of consciousness on this planet. Well, um, it's, it's, just, it's, it's so interesting to sort of unpack that because what people see, and I'm a big fan of Everest shows because I just find the mountain I, I somehow ominous and intense and the people who climb it and why very interesting. Um, so me too. Me too. They, they show like, you know, at base camp, there's this little altar and most people see that as like, oh, the visiting Westerners or wherever they're from are honoring the local customs and, um, you know, participating in the traditions that are associated with the activity that they're, they would be seen as respectful and, yes. uh, you know, the right thing to do. And on one level, that's true. On another level, they're hedging their bets. By completely setting aside <laughs> well, what they actually believe, how they actually yeah. re- relate to reality, their actual value systems, which are largely agnostic, atheistic, or very vaguely Judeo-Christian, and participating yes. in a, a polytheistic thing that on any other day they would think is absurd. Yeah, That's what's actually going on on a deeper level. But because their life is on the line, they'll take it seriously yeah. for 20 minutes before they get on the mountain. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what's to lose? What's Maybe to I'm lose? wrong. Uh, yeah, what's to lose? At like any if, rate. If you, like, if you don't believe in the kami and the deities and you think that praying before you get on the mountain influences your chances, I would say don't climb the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> There's already a thirty. There's already like a thirty percent chance you're going to die, like just statistically. So if you think you got to pray to a god you don't believe in to survive, yeah, I think you should have stayed home. What's wrong with this picture? Now, again, I need to say this over and over again. Our 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 laughing here is not derisive, uh, as much as it is. Um, uh, therapeutic for me today it's fucking therapeutic therapeutic. I need to laugh about it today (laughs) oh it's so sad from identity's point of view it's so sad that that the non-evolving consciousness of religionists 
which comprise a little over 5 billion people, the majority of people on the planet are so um, uh, um, uh, out of sync with the evolution, the, uh, the leading edge of human consciousness, yeah. right? They're all representing the trailing edge. And let's just uh, conclude our, our our outer thing here that, um, and before we go to the intuitive aspect, is that both Yeshua and the Buddha, Yeshua came, his main teaching, and this is not in their Bible that God supposedly edited, right? Uh, he came to say that you don't need any religion. You don't need any religion. You just need an open heart to God. Jesus, to Yeshua personal. said this. Uh, Yeshua said I this. I thought you said the Buddha. Okay, Yeshua said this. Yes. No, uh, oh, but Yeshua and the Buddha oh. said similar things. Oh, okay. I'll get to the Buddha. Oh, because, moment. yeah, because Gotama was uh, rebelling against Hinduism, right? Okay. Exactly. So uh, that Yeshua came out of the Judaic uh, background was was exactly uh, um, uh, his intention pre pre incarnation. He wanted to show that the letter of the law is not the way to feel the divineness in all of us. He never claimed to be the Son of God, anyone more than else. Uh, whenever they said, "Are you this Messiah?" He said, "Well, who the hell do you say I am? Watch what you say you are, and then ask yourself why." Uh, I'm only bringing a message of uh, of love that you don't need religion. And that's why the Sanhedrin was had such a, a burr in their saddle about him, because he was saying religion is obsolete. That was his teaching, but that was nicely edited out by uh, uh, versions of the Bible that made it after Constantine and Fausta decided it was the, going to be the religion of the new Holy Roman Empire. And then um, like in so, any other situation, the people with the power or want power go, Boy, people really like this guy. How do we make a religion yeah. out of it? <laughs> How do we exactly. organize it and profit from exactly. it? Exactly. And then the Buddha, as Joseph just mentioned, he came to uh, uh, defang Hinduism, which he saw was full of all sorts of projective dualistic iconography and attachments. And he came to, uh, re to uh, a, a revolution against, he, he, he taught that, the um, ascetics that were out trying to break uh, a maya in their consciousness, uh, uh, try to get out of the trap of samsara, that they were just as attached to their uh, yeah. uh, isolative ascetic uh, lifestyle as people in samsara. He, he even said that the ascetics were samsaric, uh, which was exactly the opposite of what the Hindu uh, enlightenment path teaches, taught. Yeah, the, the, the principle that. of when people think of false gods, they think of like idolic worship worshiping, yeah. but yeah. false gods, that's the pre-psychological representation yes. of it. But right. from identity's perspective, a false god is a medication. It's anything yes. you use that prevents you from experiencing all of you, and therefore yeah. anything that prevents you from experiencing all of existence, and that includes God. All aspects exactly right. We, we would say in identity that um, uh, Christianity, Islam, uh, and Judaism are childlike uh, kinds of uh, religions. They have a childlike young youngness to them with buddhism's is early teenager at least they uh they say it's incumbent upon me to enlighten and and no god in the heaven is going to touch my uh my seventh chakra and immediately make me enlightened so they're a little further along in buddhism but just like uh, the yeshua the buddha came to um uh, deconstruct hinduism and say you don't need any of that fufara just sit and meditate and eventually 
um, uh, things will happen with some that's oversimplification. So, so the Buddha rebelled against all of the structure and deities and complexity of Hinduism and said, you don't need any of that. And then it was turned into that in Buddhism. And yes, then, turned into that. And then Yeshua said, you don't need all of this stuff in Judaism that's distracting you from a direct relationship with God. And then it became that with Christianity. And then Muhammad said, you don't need all of this polytheistic tribal stuff that's just causing you guys all to argue anyway. Um, let's just have uh, one God and we don't need all of these different uh, idols and disagreements. And then they became that uh, with the yes. rest of the world uh, and then right. created a religion around that. And then uh, Protestants did the same thing with Christianity in the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. You can have a direct relationship with God, which is exactly, exactly what Yeshua said. Yes, and then they became right. that. Yes. <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern uh, here. What is the pattern? You see what human consciousness does when younger souls, Terrans are the youngest souls on the planet, comprising about two-thirds of the population. Uh, and they, they've, we're, not, we're not running down their right to feel and believe anything they need to. Mm -hmm. But but it's pre-psychological. They create, they resist what their teachers taught, and what we resist persists. And that's why they created religions exactly against uh, uh, um, what the teachers taught. Here comes uh, the new boss, same as the old boss. It's right. And of course, ancient. Moses, Moses uh, downloaded uh, or the lightning on Mount Ararat uh, uh, downloaded uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, burned them with lightning, I guess. Um, and so religion, the, the Mosaic law came directly from God. That was the first Bible. The, the mm -hmm. tablets there, you could say. And so, but if we go back just a little bit further in history, um, Judaism was born uh, out of racism in one way. All of the, the Judaic people didn't have their, they were nomadic. And in that sense, of, in the historical narrative, they, the only way they could survive their nomadic existence beset by all of these other tribal kinds of uh, cultures that didn't want them and tried to kill them and eradicate them. Uh, it was, it was, it was, that was where the, where the pet um, uh, race of God. The only way they could hold their whole system together is to say, we're the chosen people, as if God is a racist that prefers only Jews and all the other tribals are not God. And so yeah, it's okay and all to, kill, to kill them. In-group, out-group stuff is such an artifact of being in a survival mode. You know, it's just a form yeah, of collectivism. Sure. If we're going to stick exactly. together, we got to have a common enemy and we're good and they're bad. And we can all pat ourselves on the back. And when bad things happen, you know, blame the other group. And, and uh, racism-based slavery is, uh, you yes. know, was one of the most advanced economic uh, innovations yes. there ever was. It's like, well, these people yes. with the big noses or the different pigment in the skin, they're right. worse than us. They can do all the hard work. And boy, yes. does that really boost an economy. You know, that's <laughs> ancient as time. Ancient as time. And so the, the Jewish uh, people, the narrative of the ultimate victim uh, of everyone else. So the only way they could hold together from the inside out was to somehow abide that we're the we're the chosen people and no one else is, and all the traditions come out of that. So unlike Buddhism, uh, Islam, and Christianity, there isn't one real founder of Judaism. It was a traditional lore that came out of where the pet 
race of uh, of God. And so uh, Abraham, then Moses, and um, uh, Isaiah did some other things. Uh, they all sort of modified it. But the other three, um, uh, all all the all three, Muhammad, uh, the Buddha, and Yeshua, all uh, taught exactly what the religions they that now represent them shouldn't do. And so. <laughs> It's no more. You can be do me no more absurd in that summary than that in terms of qualifying and quantifying the consciousness of religionists. Bless their young hearts. But as we say so often, an Uzi in the hands of a five-year-old is just as dangerous or more dangerous than a thirty-year-old. So their religions, they've weaponized religion. All three of them: Christianity, Judaism, and uh, Islam, have weaponized their religion. Not only are they pre-psychological, they've weaponized it so that they have to wipe out or defend themselves against and kill and justify murder to survive. Mm -hmm. So wh wh what's wrong with this picture? We're saying everyone has a everyone is a child of God, but why are we stuck so many thousands year of years later with really juvenile and teenagery kinds of orientations of consciousness of which all three of the big three uh, uh, in the West anyway are comprised. It's sad. It's yeah. sad. So um, when I just said what Yeshua taught and what Joseph says um, uh, um, Muhammad taught and what we're kind of intuiting what uh, also what the Buddha taught, there's another element here in our time left I want to address and that is where does identities, orientations, where does it, where do they come from? How do you know what Yeshua actually taught if it's not in the Bible? Mm -hmm. You see, so now that's when New Age came in in the seventies, out of the uh, the hippy dippy time, of uh, which I am uh, certainly have the roots of me in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. No, we don't. No, we're not going to do it the old way. I mean, that's what I why well, I well, I created this incarnation. So right at the time I'm eighteen, nineteen. Um, it's uh, it's all happening. And by right the way, now. there's another example of it where I see this all the time. New Age spiritualists. I've, I've talked before about how I'm a moderator. I've actually founded my neighborhood next door site. And I see <laughs> I don't go on it very often because it's become like Facebook. But you see all the time these new age spiritualists who are imposing their values and pictures of reality onto other people in quite aggressive ways. I thought... Yeah. New Age spirituality was a way of getting away from the oppressive, objectivistic Christianity, yeah. Islam, Judaisms. And it's like, hey, believe whatever you want. And guess what? They became the same thing. Now it's like, your thoughts are spells. Your thoughts are spells. Don't think that. Don't say that. Like, what? What are you talking about? That's your belief, not mine. If, if, there, if there isn't a greater proof that what binds modern and ancient religionism, even New Age, like you're saying here, Joseph, is pre-psychological dystrophy that that's the common denominator what do we what else do we need to really say we say it with heart and and pain and sorrow but it is just fact that's they weaponize it all that this is the truth and that truth isn't and that's called absolutism the weapon they use, the ammunition for their weaponization yeah. of their religionism is absolute truth. Which is incredibly you, ironic given that New Age pulls from like dozens of different paradigms which are not compatible. And right. they pull lots of different pieces and then assert them as absolute truth when it, I mean, like I can't even think of a metaphor. It's like, 
like creating a from a bunch of broken dishes a mosaic plate and being like this plate oh, is nice. the essential truth like you put yeah. that together from a bunch of broken stuff and now you think it's absolutely true oh uh, there is exactly the proof of what we've been saying all along here that when when these people when people don't investigate why they believe what they believe yeah and they, and they disconnect from how they were conditioned to feel and be that way. And they have no interest in healing as much as to perpetuate the weaponization of their absolute truth. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's emotional immaturity in identity's point of view. Mm -hmm. but, but again, uh, I want to switch uh, modes here now and talk about um, something that's out there. I, I refer to it as the Akashika, which is the uh, record of uh, everything that's happened. Uh, in uh, in the human uh, evolutionary arc, and it's uh, accessible with third eye, and many psychics uh, utilize it to get information when they do reads. And uh, you can self-verify this. Don't take my word for it, but uh, you can learn how to do this. And it's a public actually, library. It's public. Yes, it's a public you library. Just have to get there. And you just <laughs> and you have to apply for the card, uh, uh, an entry card, or a, 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 like. The best, the best is a platinum visa, of course, to the Akashic. Yes. But that means you've got to cultivate your third eye uh, because you could have two people looking at the same file in the Akashica and interpreting it differently because there's no, even readers, uh, and I'm a fairly accurate one myself, there's no guarantee that my own unconscious stuff might warp some of it. But I over, over 35 years of doing this, um, I'm, I'm actually, actually accurate about 85% of the time, and the other 15, I'm really wrong. It's 100% <laughs> wrong. Uh, so the point here is that how do you know what Yeshua said? Do you, were you? How do you know what the Buddha taught? You know, what? Do, how do you know that Muhammad really felt what you just said there, Joseph? Well, you can check the Akashika; it's all there. But there's another way we can we can talk about it here, and I want to say this because um, we were. Um, well, in the current Hamas uh, Jewish conflict right now, uh, reminded me I was in Israel when um, um, what's his name ninety ninety six was assassinated uh, the Jewish uh, prime minister. Oh, what's his name? I'm having a senior moment. At any rate, um, in in Israel there is a clinic, a little literally a clinic for those who come to the Holy Land. Uh, and start having psychotic uh, kinds of episodes that they were Jesus or the Virgin Mary or Judas or, uh, and they have a clinic there already uh, there. They did at that time anyway, where they would treat uh, people who got uh, overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Land. Well, this brings an interesting question. Um, uh, those three people, despite some humanists who say that G Jesus was an invention, uh, a political invention, that he never existed. Uh, if we take that Yeshua was a, uh, a real person and Muhammad was a real person and the Buddha was a real person, um, Siddhartha, uh, then it's likely uh, that uh, th they, were, uh, they were real people, real souls, and it's likely that they can reincarnate in subsequent uh, uh, lives. This is just simple karma and reincarnation metaphysics. But the question becomes, uh, I did some ma ma math today. Uh, uh, all three of those teachers, if you check the Akashika, were angel souls, all three of them, Muhammad, uh, the Buddha, and Yeshua. And uh, if you check the Akashika, 
And so a lot of people who just beautiful people who really feel close to Yeshua, Jesus, let's say with Christianity, um, and they just, their heart just sparkles and is all warmed up by it. So Jesus had to be more God than everyone else. First, identity would like to say, well, that's reasonable you think that because they're angel souls and angel souls are only 10% of 30% of uh, souls on the planet. There's roughly, um, I, look, I did the math today, there's roughly 27 um, million uh, angels on the planet out of eight, 8 billion. It's, it's not. It's yeah. 10% of 30% or something. I, I did the math. At any rate, that means 27 million angel souls. They were angel souls. So the apostles, most of them weren't angel souls. Some of them were, some of them weren't. But the people that he taught were all Terrans, younger souls and other soul species. But an angel soul has a whole other presence to them, especially in the old days when there's pre-psychological -psych uh, frameworks. Instead of seeing why you make someone your guru, which is easily seen in deconstructing your unconscious, why you make another human your guru um, and over-attached to them, to be inspired by Yeshua and the Muhammad and, and, uh, and uh, the Buddha, Siddhartha, they were angel souls, and that could have put a huge uh, in effect on the consciousness of those who were near them. They have a different field dynamic. Uh, and so when you don't have the modern day and have all these other explanations from science, um, this could this explains why they had such um, kinds of different otherworldliness to them. Not that they were more God than anyone else, but they were all three were angel souls. That's 0.3%, so, if I got that uh, right. Uh, a, lot okay. of, a lot of zeros, 0.3% angel souls on the planet. Sounds about right. Less yeah. than, yeah, it's, less than one. it's about right. A third mm -hmm. of 1%. Yes. Yeah, so in that no, sense. No, that's even less. Uh, no, that's that's not, way less than a third of 1%. It's. Some, yeah. Oh, it is less. Yeah. yeah. So there's not that many, but compared to the population of the earth, let's say it that way. So the question becomes like this clinic in, 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 uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, I think it was Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, that. Uh, uh, what about how, how do when how many people claim to be I was Yeshua uh, uh, the twin dip? Have you heard about the twin flames cult? Uh, oh sure, yeah. You, there's a TV show about it. Yeah, yeah. I almost uh, was he, able to get through the first episode. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we got through flames. two or three. Yeah, but uh, the 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 guy there is is infers directly that he's Yeshua reincarnate. Um, and so you, you see, you see, you have a lot of these fringe people, fringe gurus who claim uh, even what's his name in uh, in Africa uh, back in the day, um, where the big commune, there were all the people drank Kool Aid. Uh, what was his name? In Africa, that uh, was in Africa. The Kool Aid guy. Yeah, um, I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, oh no, not um, yeah. Kool Aid um, guy was but, somewhere in the states, I thought. No, the the guy in Africa who had the all all, all the people they all they all drank something and they all died. Uh, he claimed David to be the reincarnation. No, no, no. Uh, it was Africa. Um, oh, God, I can't believe I can't think of his name. I should have researched this before. At any rate, the point being here is you've got a lot of people, uh, gurus, who claim to be reincarnations of Jesus. Uh, there's, there's someone now that's being, that's being claimed as the reincarnation of the Buddha. Uh, you don't see much people claiming to be the reincarnation of, the, of Muhammad. But I want to just put out uh, why, why is that? Is there's That's another a great, I've never thing. thought about that. Nobody ever claims yeah. that. Nobody, why isn't anyone claimed to be Muhammad? Well, they don't have I mean, reincarnation in Islam. 
that's why, see? Um, uh, but they don't have but, it in, in Christianity either. No, they don't. Jesus so, should be in heaven just, just like Muhammad should be in paradise. So why they don't come back. That's no, funny. That's right. Oh, no, no, but there's yeah. the second coming. Jesus is going to come back, right? Yes, One but time. not as a human. Not as a human. He oh, comes really? out of the sky on a flaming chariot. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, yeah, not reincarnated. Right. Okay. No, not reincarnated. So uh, the, the point of identity likes to, uh, uh, for those of you who haven't heard in the other 85 uh, podcasts, I just want to make Peyton here that um, we use a, um, a, a phraseology that represents a metaphysics. And that is that someone can be in the ray of one of these three amazing teachers. In other words, if you have impulses that somehow gravitate you to Yeshua or Muhammad or, or Siddhartha, that where you feel some sort of kinship with it, there's really a couple of different explanations. One is you could have been there incarnatively and known each of them uh, close up. You, know, you could have been in the same lifetime as them. But there's another way we call it in the ray of that out of 20, let's say uh, 27 million possible. Um, uh, Check my math again. It is, by the way, Angel Souls, 0.3%, a third of 1%. Okay. Whatever that number turns out to be, um, uh, you, you, if, if you're an angel soul in this lifetime, you could be in the ray of Yeshua or Muhammad or the Buddha. Uh, in the ray of meaning that you're inspired by and your soul and their soul might be connected in some intrinsic soulful embrace in the ray of. Identity would never say, uh, would, would never claim any spiritual, any teacher who claims they were definitively the reincarnation of uh, another um, of spiritual teacher from the past. Maybe one day that will be true. Uh, and, and maybe it's been true already but the claim of it itself shows the person needs a whole overhaul of their unconscious. If they claim that there's no effect of their conditioning that would lead them to believe they are Jesus reincarnated or Muhammad or the Buddha, they're just pre-psychological also. So identity would never uh, uh, um, address the issue as someone is definitely the reincarnation. Might, might in the ray a certain soul be closer to the center of that ray than others? Sure, possible. But it takes no position, it takes a position of no position of absolutism about reincarnating from one of these, as one of these three beings. Is it possible? Certainly it's possible. But there's no way to um, adjudicate that in any sort of emotionally mature way. I just want to put that out there because a lot of the, uh, I'm in, I've met many men, many men who are in the ray of Yeshua. Uh, I met someone, I met someone just recently, uh, a, a non-dual teacher, uh, always felt close to uh, Jesus's teaching. So I've met many men uh, uh, who have, who have um, felt in the ray of Yeshua. So this is a beautiful thing to celebrate, not to exclusivate, right? Mm -hmm. Um so in that sense, um, I haven't met anyone who thought they were Siddhartha um, or were, were in the ray of Siddhartha. Um, but, uh, and I have met some one person who've, who qualifies as in the ray of Muhammad. Uh, and this is a delightful, amazing ama a person. 
Uh, I have met, by contrast, uh, I have met the reincarnation of Krishnamurti. We, we talked about uh, this in another mm -hmm. podcast. Um, so in that we sense, also both uh, knew the reincarnate a very very likely candidate for the reincarnation of Jim Morrison. Oh yeah, I, I forgot. The, yeah, I was, forgot. Was a, a a German individual who identified more as an American than a German. And oh. <laughs> many of the qualities of Jim Morrison, oh. a great person wow. to have some drinks with. I, yeah. Right. Wow. Absolutely. And that's and really obvious I, shamanistic past lives as well. Uh, obviously shamanistic. Absolutely. So the whole and idea of the Jim Morrison's whole frame of that, the, uh, the, the spirit of a native American medicine man jumped into him was yes. his best <laughs> a way of understanding how, you know, we translate yeah. that as, you had past lives as a shaman and they came forward. Yeah. They were triggered by seeing these yes. indigenous people. Um, right. And your own, um, you know, wounded childhood caused you to feel fractionated as a person. So your yeah. protector part brought in some of your past life stuff in order to shore up how wounded you were. There's a great example yeah. of how people construct an identity and in, in spirituality based on what happens to them and yeah, their limited metaphysical models. I also had the uh, thanks for that. I forgot about the Jim Morrison one, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but I also have. I think I've met um, a person in the Ray of Bahá'u'lláh, uh, also mm -hmm. uh, the uh, leader of the Bahá'í, the founder of the Bahá'í religion. So the point here being is that um, what distinguishes uh, identity and New Age from uh, the three big religions is reincarnation. Reincarnation. Uh, Zen Buddhist doesn't believe in reincarnation, only the Shinto um, kind of popular version of Buddhism believes in reincarnation. there's nothing to reincarnate, of course. Yeah, there's, there's nothing to too reincarnate. Much, too much permanence. Right. So um, in that sense, reincarnation uh, is the dividing line of the fact that of evolution. You could say personal evolution is mediated by uh, the reincarnational cycle. It's not about, excuse me, um, resisting, uh, uh, transcending samsara. That is the mechanism that drives reincarnation, as the East will teach. Uh, what what drives the uh, motor of reincarnation is evolution, evolution of consciousness, and that's what drives it. Uh, we we evolve through various and sundry kinds of experiences as different uh, versions of humans to get the whole enchilada so that we start to see make linkages between what binds us together more than what divides us. We have to have a lot of experience to do that. So here we have Terrans are the youngest uh, uh, soul species and they've had less than a hundred lifetimes. Uh, whereas we have an angel soul species here, however few we, they are in the planet, um, they've had upwards of 300 to 400 and sometimes close to 500 lifetimes here. So as we said last time, I think um, the, the kids are in charge of the human family. Not There's no parents. There's no one in charge. The elder souls don't get involved in politics. They don't get involved in absolutism. Older souls are much more oriented to their personal experience of uh, the subtle realms and uh, all that that includes. So if you we, we, we don't say believe in reincarnation because we say so cultivate your third eye and then you'll find out uh, everything is about self-verification and identity no beliefs allowed uh, a belief is a crutch 
to help you get from here because you're you're injured somewhere in your soul. You don't need to believe in the sun because there it is. You only need to believe in something that you can't experience. So that's one step away in our picture of reality. And so we we support have the real experience and see if it fits what identity offers. It might it might be a compelling embrace that we might have. Mm. So yeah, I was thinking yesterday for some reason. Um, imagining someone uh, wanting to prove to someone, saying to someone, well, the moon is very dusty and there's rocks and craters and mountains and stuff. And they're like, no, it's made of cheese because that's what I believe. And like, well, here's a telescope. And if you look through it, you'll be able to see for yourself. And I was imagining them saying, well, I don't want your telescope to, you know, distort my reality. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that, uh, you know, what kind of weird magic might be going on in that because that's going to change my perception. And yeah. that's what e identity is sort of, of course, it only takes a moment to look into a telescope. It takes years sure. to cultivate one's third eye. Not, not necessarily, yeah. some, but it depends. You could be born with it. Yeah, you, you could, could be born, born with it. it. It could be easily uncovered or it may there may be not very much third eye skill to be uncovered. It may have to be developed, but... Just the the curiosity to yeah the that's curiosity. the key thing. It's like yeah. do you if you if if we told you you could have a direct abiding experience of divinity, and then handed you a telescope to look through, mm -hmm. would you look through it? Of course you would. But if we told you that telescope took five to ten years to look through, and would cost a little bit of money, a lot of time, a lot of energy, and cause you to wade through a fair amount of pain that's already there that you would then discover. Yes. Would you still want to look through it? Yeah. That's what I'm, that's the interesting question to me. It's because if someone had come to me, well, someone did come to me. In fact, it was you in my late 20s and basically said that. And I was like, yeah, I want to find that out. That's compelling to me. But for yeah. the other 99.7% um, of the population, they're like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm going to stick with my moon is made of cheese thing. And yeah. uh, of course, they can do that. Just like uh, flat earthers, uh, they they can, if they, well, you don't even have to go up in a rocket, just... Um, <laughs> Like an oil, uh, Derek, off the from yeah. a beach in San Diego. <laughs> right, exactly. Look, you can't see it, or just the top of it is sticking out. It, only the curvature of the Earth would not allow you to see it in its full height. Right. The <laughs> fact this the whole paradigm of the curvature of the Earth was already being considered in the, in the 17, 1700s, even before when sailing ships would be coming toward uh, yeah, their Yeah, right, port. they would they, see they, it. They, they the would land see would the, rise the, in the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, a flat earther, don't disturb my belief system, right? Because uh, yeah, I, I, I have, uh, I, I learned this on TikTok or on Instagram, you know. At any rate, what we're saying here, don't believe any of it. Uh, just because we're passionate about our truth doesn't mean um, uh, we're absolutists. We, we go steady with our truths. We don't marry our <laughs> truths. We, we go steady with them, which means um, we offer them because they've proven over and over and under hundreds and thousands of tests and thousands of moments to be sober. Mm -hmm. not, not, not absolute, but sober, meaning let's keep exploring until I, I, I get a big, huge contradiction. And so that's 
Go ahead. I, I was in a place just, I don't know, three, four days ago that was so, I don't even have the words for it. I felt so trapped, so crazy, so invaded by every aspect of life. There seemed like absolutely no hope, no resolution. It just seemed completely impossible. And like I had a meta me that was like, surely there's some way through this, but it was awful. And um, in about an hour and a half talking to your wife, Bree, in a session, getting the getting all of that felt, it validated yet again that when deep emotions feel impossible and they can land in another human being who has a sufficiently open heart, things yes. heal. Yes. But after, what, 15 or so years of doing this work, I was doubting that yet again. <laughs> Because yes. it was, I felt worse than I had ever felt. It felt more impossible than ever. And something in me was, surely this level of insanity is irresolvable. I'm either going to go crazy I'm gonna, or I'm going to have to kill myself. And it only took about 75 minutes of getting that to land. And now it's not gone, but it's um, way more impossibly manageable. So, but I just say that it's like, I wasn't clinging to an absolute belief of like surely stasis wife brie will save me from this i have faith no it was no i'm faith. fucked i don't know if i'm ever gonna get out of this i sure hope oh. she can help yeah. and that's not that's far more difficult than yeah. what in the five billion people on the planet operating with with faith and doubling down on jesus will get me through or whatever or you know no it's 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 lead, it's lead climbing without a fixed rope. And yes. um, that's for older souls who don't need safety in a set of yeah. rules and a big group of people who all agree with them and all that other mind-mediated stuff. So, And then the no. next time something that big is in my face, I'll, I will doubt it again. <laughs> sure. I'm sure I will. And I'm glad because if I were believing that it would be resolvable, well, then I wouldn't be feeling how bad it was, and then I wouldn't be in the now, and that doesn't make any yes. sense. The belief would squish that down into the unconscious, yeah. right? So curiosity is based in doubt, and identity is based in doubt. We support all doubt and all curiosity, and, and it, identities, um, dharmas, will prove this to you over and over if you give it a chance but not because we say so, but because you discover it again, every single segment, just yeah. like Joseph described. And that's what makes so, it so beautiful and also so damn difficult. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, so when, just, it's not about finding a security. It's about realizing you no longer need that. You don't long, no longer need securities. Mm -hmm. uh, one last point and we'll close here. Uh, I, I built the, the, uh, the paradigm for, more of the leading edge psychological uh, segmental um, uh, segment of consciousness on the planet because all the other religionists and the humanists have their institutions, as we said before, have their dharmas, have their institutions. And, um, but the older souls uh, at the more at the leading edge have had, who've been around the block more, just, just older, not better, they were underserviced. Yeah. So I wanted to bring a spiritual teaching that included the advances in the last 130 years of psychology, but integrated 
psychology into a, sp a larger spiritual perspective. But uh, what Bre what um, Joseph just described, uh, 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 what what Bree does with him, is a basic uh, uh, face to face in one way. Uh, a play out of basic psychological uh, teachings only differing really deeply and that changes everything that mm -hmm. unlike psychology we see we are emoto soulful beings first not physical beings not mental beings not even energetic beings and that changes everything so we we just sort of deconstructed the big three with a fourth one in there somewhere um <laughs> uh, 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 and you so, can extrapolate uh, all the rest on your own time if you like. Yep. Or um, maybe we will. Who knows? If we've offended you um, uh, in a certain way, please ask yourself why you feel offended. Uh, that means you're holding on to a truth that you're not willing to have doubt about. And I promise, is we, we're we're not married to our truths. We go steady with them. Uh, uh, really, uh, we wouldn't have gotten this far in Joseph, who is one of the most passionate and intelligent people I've ever met, combination. If he's stuck with it all this time, boy, and he's found uh, it makes hay while the sun shines, that's a good commercial. And that's I, all did, I, can I say. did try to, to stop for a while, and uh, I dead ended not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, the subject of a book I really am trying to finish about the uh, six or seven years where I was trying pure Zen and ayahuasca uh, in a post EBE 1.0 mode, which magically steered me in a divine right intervention, <laughs> steered me back into EBE 2.0, really oh. with very little of my own choices, it seems, operating. I mean, I chose to go along with it, but I did. I certainly sure. didn't mean to. So, um, but I think so it's my all soul about did. this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and that's what we help we help people do is let the soul start running the consciousness, not our psychological wound-based protections mm -hmm. run the being. And so Joseph evolved all that way and he learned and he, he, the whole point of growth is dead ending. You've got to experience a dead end. Uh, take everything that you feel to that's dead end till it no longer works for you. We support you in that. Uh, and you've got if it's not identity, there's other uh, there's other uh, spiritual teachings that came out of New Age that will teach similar things, but not a, not the same at all. What identity uh, does. So, whoever you are listening to this, um, you have our support on your journey, whatever that journey is. And I hope we haven't disenchanted you too much if you're a religionist but if you're a religionist you're probably not listening to these or watching these podcasts well and on, let me be a little bit challenging because I'm, I'm feeling kind of passionate today i guess so it seems um related to what you just said related to dead ending if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and it all makes sense to you and you're not working directly with an ebe facilitator I challenge you to do that because that would be dead ending the paradigm. You can't do identity without working with someone else. So if yes. you, if all of this makes sense to you, then, uh, and the idea of taking something as far as you possibly can to find its limits makes sense to you, then you should work with someone. There's not many people available who could work with you. Um, but <laughs> let's, right. let's just trust that there will be enough to serve yes. the interests that there are. Um, exactly. But, but just wanted to say, like, learning about this and listening to this podcast is going to be only a fraction of a percent of what it actually is. And if you find it interesting, cool, that's why we're putting it out there. Maybe you're studying this to do it next life when 
when it's yes. far more evolved, who knows, when it's 10.0 instead yeah. of 2.0. I don't know. Yes, sure. And that's okay, too. Always evolving, just like we are. Uh, yeah. And yet some of the, 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 the core principles stay the same, but they take out new iterations. They, they, they take on new zones of application that uh, we wouldn't have seen before it evolved to that point. So thanks for saying that. Um, I, I'm right with you. You can be entertained by two guys who um, are entertainers in one parts of our personalities. We both sure. are. Joseph and I both are. But uh, we're dead serious uh, when it comes to matters of the spirit. And mm -hmm. so we've uh, if we've spoiled your religion for you, um, it's probably not really an objective reality happened because they wouldn't listen to the or look at these podcasts but um, I don't think they would have gotten past the uh, effeminate Jesus conversation <laughs> oh, that's true. Picture. oh God no yeah. Christian would okay yeah. all right Joseph thanks so much this was rich and lovely and foamy yeah. and substantive all at the same time like a good cappuccino thank you Stace <laughs> thank you listeners tune in next time we have no idea what the agenda is at the moment so come and fun we'll find out together bye for now thanks for listening to the heart of soul podcast to learn more about stace baron and identity please visit identity.org to learn more about joseph shapiro visit clearandopen.com until next time we wish you well on your journey